to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves it the most, Luke Throop, here on another wild, uh, terrific Tuesday. I was going to say a wild Wednesday, friends. It's only a terrific Tuesday for Torch Report 530. What everyone should know about the globalists' enlightened leaders. I don't know if you know there is a small group of people running around the globe, globetrotters calling themselves enlightened leaders. But if these people were half as competent as they claim to be, of course, we'd all be living in paradise. So sometimes you just got to laugh at it. Like, you got to be kidding me. You really think you're enlightened. But uh, (laughs) anyway, friends, you know, smiling is good for us, right? It's good for the soul. It releases all these endorphins and all that. And so sometimes when we hear something that's just so utterly ridiculous that, you know, like the globalists think they're enlightened, you just got to laugh. Uh, we got to smile. You got to smirk. Just kind of laugh on the inside. And the same holds true when you pick up on a, a ridiculous news story like I did this morning out in the news. It was actually over at, uh, I believe it was over at Hot Air. And it said, it's just unbelievably nonsensical. Get this headline, okay? It says, does your pet identify as trans? Does your pet identify as trans? I mean, what the hell is wrong with people? You know, that was the that was the first thought that popped into my head. Does your pet identify as trans? Get the hell out of here, man. This is nuts. But uh, of course, after that thought, you know, subsided, it was it was followed closely by the disturbing reality that everyone gets to vote. Okay, does your pet identify as trans? That's nuts, but everyone gets to vote. Yes, friends, people who spend their time fretting over whether or not their favorite furries identify as trans or or non-binary or gender neutral, or if they prefer not to say. Uh, People who entertain that sort of warped and delusional thinking, they still get to vote. Is it necessary to point out that our pets do not have the vocabulary to make such a distinction as trans, non-binary, gender neutral, or whatever. I mean, the entire premise is so preposterous. It's just, uh, you just have to laugh. It's absurd, you know? But the fact remains, people who think this way, they still get to vote. And so why is that? You know, why? Why Why? Why should we let these people vote? Why? Why should some insane idiot who thinks their pets prefer non-binary pronouns have an equivalent say in the outcome of elections. You know, why should they have any say at all, really? I mean, elections have consequences, oftentimes severe consequences. Is it not reasonable to restrict dysfunctional people from voting? If you think that your cat is trans, maybe you shouldn't be deciding the future, what's best for our country. You hear hear what I'm saying here? I mean, it only makes sense that dysfunctional people are more likely to vote for dysfunctional outcomes, right? That's kind of how we got to where we're at today. They're all caught up in worrying that their cat might be transgender, and it seems uh, highly unlikely to me somebody caught up in that delusional space, somebody who's that warped, how could they have any grasp whatsoever on political complexities, right? They don't even have a grasp on reality itself. But here's the catch. It is precisely this sort of voter that both political parties cater to. 
Okay, sure. I mean, you know, Republicans and Democrats, they both have their highbrow pitches, you know, for the more politically astute. But the ruling class understands that elections are won or lost by people who believe that men can have babies, that girls can be boys and that pets can be trans. Friends, there's a sucker born every second, they say. So without being mm, unnecessarily harsh or derogatory, it seems prudent to prune the concept of voting rights, to lay bare the realities inherent in our human disparities. But alas, you know, we won't have time for that. We're not all the same. Obviously, we're not all equal and only a fool believes Otherwise, But I do believe we would be wise to realize that Democrats and progressives and Marxists and socialists and globalists and commies, they're all playing to these fools. Okay, And the ugly truth is, just to be real blunt and fair-handed here, uh, the Republican Party bosses at the national level, they're playing to these fools as well. These fools still get to vote. So put it kind of bluntly, the in, the incessantly corrupt two-party establishment, both sides are intentionally preying upon the lesser endowed because this is how they stay in power. This is how they keep control over the masses. Both parties understand the game. And understanding that game and then, you know, you're preying upon the lesser endowed, combining that with the brute force of media proliferation, this is how they manage to keep, the corrupt two-party system manages to keep rival third-party candidates out of the race. Uh, that was on my mind this morning. I saw a good article out there. People floating the idea that maybe a third-party victor is still possible. People, you know, kind of hanging their hats on, I don't know, maybe RFK is the guy to save the day and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, friends, at this point, I think entertaining any kind of fantasy about a third-party candidate is just a lost cause. As Newt Gingrich said today, you know, it is Trump who represents uh, liberty against tyranny at this point in the political circus. So uh, that said, you know, let me ask you this. There was a little quip out by Nikki Haley today. Who do you think Nikki Haley is speaking to when she says, quote, I think it's not the party uniting around President Trump. It's the political elite that are uniting around President Trump, period, end quote. Who do you think Nikki Haley is speaking to ahead of the New Hampshire primaries? Who is she talking to when she says it's not the, the Republican Party that's uniting around Trump? It, it's the political elites that are uniting around Trump. You know, the answer is, if it's not glaringly obvious, that Nikki Haley is speaking to the political idiots. That's who she's speaking to. The kind of people who believe that their pets are transgender. That's who she's speaking to. No thinking person with even half a brain would buy that kind of sloshing bucket of BS, you know? No one who has been paying attention the Republican primaries or politics at all for the last, you know, since 2016 would believe in the slightest. They would not believe it. No one who's been watching the polls would believe it. And certainly no one who has, sees Haley as as just a, a globalist stooge, Dick Cheney in three inch heels. Nobody on that 
category or that group would believe it. So obviously Nikki Haley is lying through her damn teeth. It's not the party uniting around Trump. It's the it's the political elite. She's lying. You know, Republican voters, i.e. the party, not the party bosses, but the party. Republican voters have been largely united around Donald Trump since 2016. Of course, much to the chagrin of the never Trumpers in the political establishment. It is precisely the political elites who have been working against Donald Trump and by extension against the American people since the first day Trump came down the escalator and declared that he was running to make America great again, right? He's going to make America great again. And they're like, oh my gosh, we can't help each other. preposterous. We're not going to make America great again, you know? You see the party bosses, they had absolutely no problem with the way things were going. The party bosses, they've reveled in the pork and the power. They liked the status quo, and they loved the way things were going, right? Toward greater and greater degrees of power, more power and control. And, of course, this power and control, friends, it was being delegated by their globalist big daddy backers here, to put it into perspective. The American political class, ruling class, political entrenched political establishment, they're really getting their power from the globalists, okay? For decades in American politics, any player from either team who signaled allegiance to the global cabal, anyone who stood in solidarity with defending and implementing global democracy, was certain to be heaped with praise and perks and publicity, you know, and all of this positive attention from the big boys, the big fish in the global pond, that was definitely going to stroke the ego of the elected representatives, again, on both sides of the aisle. And, of course, swanky gatherings like what just went down in Davos, that just sealed the deal, right? Can you, can you see what's going on here? At some point, our elected representatives ceased representing we the people. They ceased representing the people who elected them in favor of representing the values and the policies being promoted by their powerful new friends. I mean, after all, who, who really knows what's best for the world and who really has the resources to change the world anyway, you know? And, and isn't that what every elected official really wants to do? You know, they, they want to get the resources to change the world. And who has the resources? Why, it's the global cabal, you know? Can you see how subtle the transition might be. Can you see how there's this natural slide when a person gets elected from the grassroots constituency and they go off to the wonderful land of Oz, a.k.a. Washington, D.C., where they get wined and dined by globalists and lobbyists and everybody else? Can you see the natural slide into the sphere of influ- a different sphere of influence, a larger sphere of influence? You know, once invited into the upper echelon of civilized society, politicians seldom look back. You know what I mean? As a result of being swept up in this upper crust, they they lose touch with their roots and, of course, become increasingly detached from the world that everyday people live in. Peasants like you and I, (laughs) you know, they, they lose touch with reality Main Street USA and they begin to see the little guys as lesser, right? I mean, naturally. I mean, come on, just look at look at the average person. I mean, come on. I mean, the little guys, I mean, they have less money. They have less power. They even have less information and less perspective. Clearly, they have much less class and style. And all of this bolsters 
an irresistible sense that they, the, uh, the, the, the elected representatives and their global co- cohorts, they really do know what's best. I mean, because they're in this whole other class of people, right? And they've got the power and the resources and the influences, and they've got you know, the movers and shakers all working collaborati- collaboratively in this collective effort for the whole of humanity. You can see how this works. And in time, the elected representatives grow fond of the thought that they really are special. I mean, clearly they've been chosen. Perhaps they've been chosen by God himself to lead all of the miserable peasants to a bright new future. So when it's suggested that they think of themselves as enlightened leaders, it's just kind of a good fit. You know what? You're right. I think it's okay to identify as an enlightened leader because I've been chosen by God to serve the peasants. <laughs> now, friends, it's, uh, it's worth laughing here, but it's worth pointing out that these enlightened leaders, they thrive on leading people who actually believe that they are enlightened. <laughs> They surround themselves with aides and interns who revere them and their elevated status as a global servant. Uh, what do you do? I'm a diplo- I'm a global servant. I serve humanity. I'm a diplomat. I'm a global servant. I'm an enlightened leader. And as servants to humanity, of course, these enlightened leaders, they call upon their staff to take care of the petty tasks like talking to ordinary people. That way, the enlightened leaders can spend so much more time with their enlightened friends discussing enlightened things such as the greater good and global democracy and, of course, the ever-pressing need to save lives and keep people safe. Friends, from the outside looking in, I think it's probably just a fantastic bubble to live in. But, 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 but we need to go ahead and zoom way out here. So let's go ahead and zoof. We're going to go out and, and talk about these enlightened leaders in a, in a broader context. Because the so-called enlightened leaders talk of these enlightened leaders exercising authority over the entire planet under the guise of global governance has been around since at least the 1990s. I don't know if you knew that or not. Probably not. I know that I didn't. So back in 1995, in honor of the 50th anniversary of the United Nations, the UN's Commission on Global Governance published a book. It was a report, but it's a book. I actually got the book right in my hot little hand here. You can hear me turn the pages. Nice. Okay, so they published this book on global governance. It's called Our Global Neighborhood. And this this Commission on Global Governance, this is the predecessor. Our Global Neighborhood is the predecessor to our common agenda. Our common agenda is being actively pushed by the global cabal right this very day. And and woven throughout these collectivist screeds is a hefty dose of sustainable solutions. Now, all of these sustainable solutions in our global neighborhood and our common agenda, they all find their roots in the 1992 Rio Summit, the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. And it was there in Rio that the globalists formally launched their formidable strategies to conquer the world and depopulate the planet using the whole environmental shtick. And now, again, you know, 92, 95, in the 90s, there was hot and heavy. A lot was going on. This is where Agenda 21 was born. This is when they planned, in 1992, they planned the decade of vaccines that we happen to be living in. Uh, later iterations of Agenda 21 and all this, uh, it, 
including the Millennial Development Goals, the current 17 different UN Sustainable Development Goals, that's all that's wrapped up in Agenda 2030. All of this connects back to all of the preceding campaigns. Uh, the, the original vision comes from this Commission on Global Governance. And the reason I'm saying this, look, what the hell are you talking I mean, it's not a history class. Why does this matter? Tell me, tell me now. Well, it matters, friends, because if you go back and look at it, these globalists are sticking to their plans. I mean, they have it penciled out to the detail, and they have missed a target here or there. No doubt they've made some adjustments and all that. But overall, the global cabal has done a remarkable job of implementing their strategies. They've done a remarkable job of creating the infrastructure for their vision of what they now call future Earth. Now, let's contrast that. You know, where were you and I at in the 1990s? You know, I was working on fishing boats up in Alaska. You know, I, I was surely I was listening to Rush Limbaugh, but I wasn't necessarily paying attention to the global cabal. OK, I would wonder what Rush Limbaugh would say about the WEF and the global cabal today. I, I, I just I would. But you have to realize that while they've been doing all of this, implementing their strategies and, and building their infrastructure, the peasants of the world have been, doing, been busy doing what peasants do, right? Working, raising families, you know, voting every four years for a future worth having and all of that. And, and how many people do you think have realized that for the last 30 years, their elected representatives have been steeped in this globalist vision where enlightened leaders rule the world and take total control of our lives in order to save the planet? How many people have realized that? How many people do you think have realized that this vision has been advancing on all fronts incrementally, systematically, systematically, and even really quite diplomatically? It's been going on for decades. How many people realize that? What percentage of the population do you think realizes that this agenda is being driven by the use of digital surveillance and manipulation to influence behavior and control populations? Hmm? How many people realize that's going on? And by the way, that's a direct quote from Our Common Agenda. They talk about using digital surveillance and manipulation to influence behavior and control populations. Direct quote. You know, how do you feel? about the globalists using digital surveillance, weaponized AI, and manipulation in order to influence your behavior and control the entire population. How do you feel about that? How do you think that your neighbors might feel about that if they knew that it was going on, right? And just to kind of stretch out on a limb here, let me ask you this. How do you think the average useful idiot would feel if they found out that rich elite globalists are trying to manipulate them and control them, how do you think they'd feel about that? Could that potentially be an opening in conversation? Friends, I choose to believe the best in humanity, even while acknowledging the worst. I believe that most people in their right mind would laugh at the idea that our global leaders are enlightened. Anyone intelligent enough to understand the word enlightenment and what that means is also smart enough to see it for what it is. It's a lie. These leaders are not enlightened. I've never met anyone who, you know, walked around calling themselves enlightened. It's just ridiculous. And so, you know, once you recognize the lie, I want to say also, I've never met anybody who likes to be lied to. I don't know anybody that likes to be manipulated and controlled. And so I think this is an opportunity 
here. You know, the truth is most people still don't realize that the ruling class believes themselves to be enlightened, that they intend to enslave and control the masses with digital surveillance, or that they're manipulating elections on a planetary scale. Friends, political hope for the future should rest squarely on communicating exactly that. And that is the message of my heart for today. We need to keep talking about this. So please, friends, uh, if, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take the time to go to thetorchreport.com. Find the heart, click the heart, and give me some love. But the greatest honor of all is if you share this podcast with someone, someone who might be on the fence, somebody who doesn't really know what these globalists are up, up to, or better yet, of course, you could share it with everyone you know. Get out there and embrace this terrific Tuesday, friends, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.